Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Tonight, March 21st, I am at Union Hall in Brooklyn for the New York City Championships. Tomorrow, March 22nd, at the Philadelphia Museum of Contemporary Art, for some reason. Uh, April 19th, at the Virgil in Los Angeles, and stay tuned for details. The Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon, May 7th through 10th. Unfortunately, I did have to cancel this coming Monday's show that was supposed to be in D.C., but here's the last D.C. show recorded back on September 22nd, 2013. I'm going to try to get back as soon as I can, D.C., but this is round one from the last show featuring David Dwighty, Jen Tisdale, Madi Litwack, Stavros Halkaias, and Michael Foodie reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. All right, well, with that, please give it up for your first round one comic who's brought a prepared piece tonight, Mr. Michael Foodie, ladies and gentlemen. Brock sat submerged in the ice bath, nude, safe for his WWE championship belt. His nose and eyes just cresting the plastic surface. A crocodile. <laughs> the cold of the water slowly penetrating his, slow, his swollen body. For Brock, the ache from punishing workouts and endless wrestling slams was omnipresent to the point of invisibility the way we fail to appreciate the weight of the atmosphere. The cold water devoured this ache bit by bit, leaving it unreplaced. The ache's absence and articulate rightness. Even as he shivered record needle tremors, he felt perfected. Click clack, said Sable's stilettos to the tile floor. <laughs> Her steps so small and flat that her torso seemed to hover, not so much walking as scurrying across the floor. Hello, big boy, she said, giggling at her understatement. Her voice... Her voice sounded like wind chimes. It tickled her words like little piggies gone to the market. Brock exhaled deeply, forcing simmering contrails of mist off the surface of the water. An animal snort. <laughs> Languidly, she traced her finger through the water, acting out a sympathy shiver at this diluted experience of pure cold. Poor baby, she said. Let me warm you up, her voice syrupy with lasciviousness. All at once, Brock rose, the water level plummeting and splashing to fill the grand void of the pocket sea he displaced. He reached out and grabbed her with a supernatural quickness and perhaps a simian gentleness. <laughs> he wormed his fingers through the feather-soft wheat-field hair of his then-fictive wife, Sable, and they strolled along her curly avenues, taking in the texture of those conditions, scaly, tangled locks. She was in a skin-tight magenta top tucked into black exercise suspenders, sized for a sable four years ago. 
The top sparkled like the tessellated texture of a sunset great lake large enough to feel the pull of the pregnant white moon as the lycra giggled in the lava light. Brack bellowed, Jesus Christ, I had the most awesome workout. And then, I'd like to give you a workout. He slowly dragged his arms over her, the massive pink hillscapes wrapped around her head like a vice. The wet, cold goose flesh, a pink star chart. His back had a tattoo that terrified in its inelegance. <laughs> a blacklight dorm room poster. A child's dangerously unconsidered flirtation with darkness. <laughs> he was, shall we say, scary stuff. <laughs> he sprung like a bear trap, hoisting her legs around the mountains he wore his shoulders. Her chemical blonde hair cascaded down the brute, and he laughed at the feeling of it against his big, sweat-encrusted thighs. He said, Your hair feels silly against my thighs. <laughs> then he says, I'll brutalize you if you don't do as I say. <laughs> then he says, You know what I want. And it was true. She could feel it pressing into her face. <laughs> it seems small, the only in contrast the behemoth that it cantilevered from. <laughs> That's a mighty oak and more a shrub clinging tenaciously to life above the timberline. <laughs> and so they danced. They coupled carnally, courting coitus coercively. Flesh familiar, force-beating fellatio, <laughs> frantically finger-fucking. <laughs> Breck let out a sound like a steel beam bending. His body flexed against itself and his pupils, pupils fluttered with god terror. <laughs> An animal overawed by the mystery of fire. <laughs> Spent, he dropped her to the floor like a barbell at the end of a sick pyramid set. They were born and reborn in spandex and arms banged with tactile transit maps. They were lovers. They were jocks. Thank you. Michael Cody! Alright, your second contestant, ladies and gentlemen, is Jen Tisdale. Jen Tisdale! One of my new favorite people. It had been nearly 16 years since Freddy Krueger's life was snatched away from him by the parents of Elm Street. Is this heaven? Is this hell? Why am I in this boiler room? I didn't even die in a boiler room. Freddy spent most of his time masturbating. <laughs> what else does one do with nothing but a seemingly endless eternity stretching before him? He tried guttural laughing, scraping his knives against the pipes. But that's not entertainment. <laughs> Freddy eventually turned to himself, but quickly discovered he can't seem to take this fucking glove off. <laughs> and masturbating with his other hand was proving to be impossible. <laughs> it's like he's never even met his left side before. <laughs> his dick had more lacerations in it than his inexplicable Christmas-themed sweater had stripes. <laughs> Speaking of, why am I wearing a sweater in a boiler room? It's pretty fucking hot down here. And what's with this hat? I look like Dickless Tracy. 
<laughs> Why? Because he lost half his cock in the fire, but his balls remained intact. Great! Balls are like mud flaps for your anus. <laughs> what in the hell am I gonna do with them? At this point, his dick looked like something you'd order at McDonald's. <laughs> the Jimmy Dean of cocks. Except, oh wait, most of it's gone, so it's just the Dean of cocks. And the only school he was in charge of was the school of never coming. <laughs> yeah. As he was about to do another lap around the room to see if he could find yet another way to emerge triumphantly from a haze of steam, <laughs> he heard a voice call out, Hello? It was a girl's voice. Freddy's dick immediately sprang to attention. Well, half attention. It was the ADHD of erections. And this girl was the fuck riddling he'd been waiting for. <laughs> Freddy suddenly wished he was wearing something else. The last thing everyone wants to do is bang Christmas. Yeah, I hope that when I'm sliding this almost literal Tootsie Roll into her pussy that she's suddenly reminded of her mom's holiday pot roast and how her dad used to dress up as Santa. Right? It's pretty fucking hot. He pulled what should be the last fedora on earth <laughs> down low over his ears and wondered again how he was somehow left with his ears and nose, but his dick was left looking like a lost game of Django. <laughs> I guess that's what you get for being a kid killer. <laughs> this low self-esteem's gonna get you nowhere. Pull yourself together, man. Freddy nervously adjusted his sweater and practiced what he would say. Hey, uh, nice weather we're having down here in this room that I never leave. No, no, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> how, how about... Come here often? Oh god, that's to my fuck dungeon? That's... That is so trite. You know what? I'm just gonna call her a bitch and we're gonna go from there. She rounded the corner as he was mid-pep talk. They locked eyes and she said, I'm Nancy. Who are you? Because he's a gentleman, he said, I'm Fred. Kruger. And you're in my world now, bitch. Nailed it thought to himself, authoritative without sounding too pleading. That'll get her wet. Of course, where was all that wetness when he really needed it? Thanks, fire. <laughs> he moved towards her and ran a hand on the side of her face. She shivered and said, You have such sad eyes. Oh, and absolutely no eyelids. <laughs> Let me save you. She kissed the tips of his knives, turning them on himself, shredding the tyrannical bonds of the accursed holiday sweater. She placed his gloveless hands between her legs. Start a fire there. <laughs> she whispered. He started to tell her that it was a little too late to start a fire, but she put her finger over his lips. Shh, don't talk. Just fuck. She pulled his dick from his pants and asked where his dick was. His face turned red. Okay, more red. It doesn't matter, Nancy said. I have all you'll need right here. She took off her pajamas. That's what you wear when you're dreaming. <laughs> and lay down on the ground. Naked, Freddie lay down on top of her. She pressed her breast against his chest. When he pulled back, he saw pieces of his own skin hanging from her nipples. <laughs> oh, Freddie! She screamed, cover me in you! I am the hunter and you are the prey. I want to wear your skin like a sex trophy. 
Freddie was a little weirded out by that declaration, but he didn't have a lot of options down here. So he kept going. She wasn't quite wet enough, so he slashed a cut in her inner thigh and covered her, covered his dick in her blood. Yes, more. Own me. Enslave me. My thighs are a blank canvas. My blood is your paint. Let me be the moaning Lisa to your dick, Vinci. He fucked his loneliness into her, his anger, and his goddamn fedora because he was tired of looking like someone who probably has season passes to the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> the straps of his sweater fell around them as he moved faster and faster. They finally came together. He couldn't tell where his sad dick started and her pussy ended. He laid his head down on her chest and sobbed while she stroked his head. Oh, the tales a blind man could read on that skin. <laughs> he wiped his eyes and stood up knowing what he had to do now he plunged his gloved hand deep into her stomach because at the end of the day Freddy Krueger was, is, and always will be a lady killer your next contestant is Mr. David Twighty David Twighty clap your hands okay uh, so, for reasons that will become evident, I will be doing this next piece as famed American historian Shelby Foote. But, because I'm not good at southern accents, I will mostly be doing it as Foghorn Leghorn <laughs> slash Kevin Spacey's character from Boxing <laughs> Alright, here we go. It was early April in the small village of Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia. A pale yellowy sun hung low over the misty Virginia hills and the leaves of the live oak rustled in the breeze as though whispering reluctant testimony to the unprecedented carnage they'd seen through these four bloody years. In the humble parlor of Wilma McLean, a wholesale grocer from Manassas, General Robert E. Lee sat by the window, numbly contemplating the approach of several men on horseback. As Ulysses S. Grant rode up to the McLean house, he thought of Gettysburg, of rebels retreating in disarray, the victorious whoops of fighting men in blue uniforms, and despite his nagging sorrow over the thousands of good men lost, he felt as vital as he had as a young man at the military academy. Already halfway in the bag from a liberal portion of breakfast whiskey, Grant was in a celebratory mood. He felt like battling the battle, uh, bellowing the battle hymn of the Republic until he was hoarse. More than anything, though, for the first time in half of a decade, Ulysses S. Grant wanted to fuck. With every... With every step his horse took, the full bulge of the general's erection rubbed uncomfortably against the rough leather saddle. He had smashed the army of Northern Virginia. He had rescued the Union. Now it was time for Ulysses S. Grant to get his dick wet. And he knew where he was going to begin. When he reached the house, Grant tied up his horse, leaving his, ex his escorts outside. 
as he scaled the porch steps, slightly bow-legged in an attempt to disguise his throbbing victory boner. <laughs> Lee greeted him wordlessly at the door as Grant produced the documents of surrender from his coat pocket and set them on a nearby table. General Lee, he said, you may look over the terms, but I believe this covers everything we have agreed upon. Lee nodded and seated himself at the table. With a heavy sigh, he produced a pen from his pocket. There is to be no more bloodshed, he said in a husky voice, rationalizing his defeat as he scribbled his signature. Without another word, Lee reached for his hat and began to stand. Where do you think you're going, said Grant. When Lee looked up, he was startled to see Ulysses Grant's face creased into a boozy, leering grin. We're not finished here, he said. Grant dragged a chair from across the room and seated himself opposite the other man. You've got nothing to be ashamed of, Mr. Lee. You fought a fine war. You've earned your men's respect. I understand they call you, they call you the Marble Man, a well-earned title as your statuary will someday dominate the southern landscape. Of course, from what I learned in college, you used to have a different nickname. <laughs> Lee slumped in his chair as revulsion crept through his body Grant leaned back in his chair and uncrossed his legs lewdly revealing the full extent of his carnal excitement <laughs> You know, said Grant, taking a swig from his trusty flask I've always wanted to test the reputation of the blowjob king of West Point, Michigan. <laughs> And you really ought to have checked the fine print. <laughs> Lee frantically flipped through the surrender documents and growing horrible. <laughs> he found it in the bottom margin of the second to last page. There, scribbled in almost illegible penmanship, he read, I, the, underse uh, the undersigned, officially owe General Ulysses S. Grant a world-class dick-sucking. <laughs> now you gotta be fucking kidding me, said Robert E. Lee. <laughs> hey man, said Grant. I just can't believe you fell for that shit. <laughs> He gave an unpleasant guffaw and began undoing his trousers. Lee wanted to protest further, but a southern man's word is a sacred thing. And he wasn't about to go back on his even after accidentally agreeing to blow the man who had just defeated him in the bloodiest war ever fought in the Western Hemisphere. The general stepped up from the table and slumped to his knees. Grant's own little general sprang forth from his completely unsexy long underwear. Engorged with blood not unlike that which the Union Army had spilled by the thousands of gallons along the muddy shores of the Rappahannock River more than two years previous. Without hesitation, Lee plunged the future president's at-attention knob into his dry mouth. Tears standing out in his eyes like remorseful pre-cum. 
Grant took a firm grip on the back of Lee's head and moaned with a near-religious fervor, matched only by that of the mad abolitionist John Brown and his vicious disciples. The Confederate general was clearly lacking practice since his younger years when he'd never admitted, but this particular skill had earned him many powerful friends in the Army's power structure. He was using far too much of his teeth. Although the tickle of his gray whiskers against Grant's ball sack created a sensation that wasn't entirely unpleasant. You call that sucking dick, Grant screamed, lost in a powerful lust. I thought Virginia was for lovers, you little... (laughs) Lee was overwhelmed by sensation. He realized with a jolt that his own cock had begun to rise more quickly than he himself once had through the ranks of the United States military. Grant pulled out without warning and shoved Lee to the floor, pouncing on the Virginian's stiffening member and ripping open his gray trousers with one meaty hand. I guess the South shall rise again, Grant exclaimed. Maneuvering herself around to sit on Lee's face in a position that was in those days known as brother against brother. union of coarsely bearded mouths conjoined with wrinkled old white man boners. Sadness and regret about their nation's four years of devastation was completely lost in pure sexual release as the two generals 69 on the parlor floor with violent abandon. After what seemed like hours, and may well have been, considering how difficult Grant's perpetual whiskey dick made it for him to achieve completion. The victorious general ejaculated with more force than the Union cannonade that had ripped apart Pickett's charge on that fateful July morning at Gettysburg. Robert E. Lee swallowed the bitter fluid almost as viscous and foul-tasting as the rudimentary coffee so commonly brewed by soldiers in their encampments during that time. For a moment, the two men laid spent on the floor, gasping in ragged breaths, like those of a dying man cut down by musket fire. (laughs) Unceremoniously smashing their shameful afterglow, Grant stood and composed himself. Your surrender is accepted, Grant said. And with that, he redid his trousers and collected the documents from the table. He made his exit, stepping over the prostrate General Lee in the process. While outside, he mounted his horse and directed his men onward to Richmond, where he intended to come up with something even filthier to do to Jefferson Davis. school all day was draining enough, 
but mustering up the focus to teach while simultaneously controlling his urge to not fuck those sexy children was beginning to be too much for the aging instructor. However, with his work for the day completed, the veteran educator allowed his mind to wander. And for a moment, he was in paradise. His daydream was so vivid, he could almost taste the butt juices of sixth graders on his growing mustache. A knock at the door interrupted him. Mr. Feeney, Topanga Mr. Feeney, Topanga Colt? <clears throat> what a buzzkill, Feeney thought to himself. Feeney was very horny, but alas, it was just Topanga and her gross pussy. <laughs> you see, the thought of Topanga's pussy, and any pussy at all, really, weirded Mr. Feeney out because he was a homosexual pedophile. <laughs> Mr. Feeney, can you help me? I really need a cover story for the school paper tomorrow, and I'm all out of ideas. Normally, Feeney would help Topanga, despite the fact that her pussy grossed him out. <laughs> but the bell had rung, Feeney was off the clock, and he just didn't have the patience today. He shooed the girl away, and she left. Oh, how he wished it had been nerdy Minkus who walked through that door. <laughs> Minkus with his love of rules and naive trust in authority figures. He began to think about putting Minkus's little chapstick-sized dick in and out of his mouth <laughs> while sodomizing the tiny nerd with one of those really thick pieces of chalk <laughs> before ultimately jerking off into his blonde bowl cut. <laughs> of course, the students he really wanted to fuck were Corey Matthews and Sean Hunter. Something about them? Maybe it was how precocious they were. Maybe it was a little Jufro Corey sporter on his head. Despite literally everyone else in his family looking as non-Jewish as possible. Maybe it was Sean's bad boy charm combined with the fact that he was the kind of trailer trash no one would ask too many questions about. Either way, Feeney wanted to suck Sean and Corey's prepubescent wieners like they had pina coladas in their bars. <laughs> Last, Feeney thought to himself, there's no scenario where I'll get to fuck Corey and Sean. Dejected and with a pretty sizable boner, Feeney prepared his things to leave. But then just outside of his office, Feeney overheard an argument. I'm desperate, desperate here, Sean. I finally got a date with Topanga, but my parents will never let me go to the movies if they find out I flunked the geography test. I'm toast. I'll do anything. All the blood in his body rushing into his very pale dick, Feeney recognized his opportunity and seized it. Mr. Hunter, Mr. Matthews, <laughs> come into my office and uh, lock the door behind you. I couldn't help but overhearing your conversation, boys, and I think I have a solution that would benefit all three of us. Really? The boys exclaimed. Yes, Mr. Matthews, if you want an A on your geography exam, all you have to do is prove to me that you love geography. Just then, Mr. Feeney unveiled a globe. It was a standard globe, but with one curious alteration. Where the island nation of Australia would usually appear, Mr. Feeney had drilled a hole and inserted a flashlight. <laughs> Mr. Matthews, fuck this globe. Okay, well, uh, I guess I'm out of here. Sean patted Corey on the back and headed for the door. Looks like you got this one under control, pal. Uh, not so fast, Mr. Hunter. You, uh, you'll be with me. He licked his lips with a kind of anticipation usually reserved for stupid people before their entree arrives at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Sean followed the directions. He owed Corey big time for sneaking him a pair of Mrs. Matthews' post-Zumba panties. <laughs> Co 
Corey did as he was told. After all, this was for Topanga. Thinking about Topanga and the sweet love they would eventually make like 10 years later after they were married, because ABC wanted us to believe they waited until marriage to fuck even though, come on, in real life they probably would have fucked before that. Uh, thinking about that was the only thing that got Corey through the ordeal. He pounded the cold latex butthole, pretending it was Topanga's warm, ample pussy. He began to thrust faster and harder. Mr. Feeney matched Corey's pace as he furiously jerked himself and Sean off simultaneously. Sean winced as Feeney ran his old, rough fingers up and down his pristinely smooth cock. He licked Mr. Feeney's pale pink nipples, which were encircled in coarse, brillo-pad-like white hair that made the calluses on the old man's fingers feel like silk in comparison. As he neared climax, Corey moaned, Oh, Topanga, Topanga, Topanga! Topanga stood in the doorway, horrified. <laughs> She'd come to retrieve a notebook she left in the classroom, but was instead greeted with the sight of Corey, his dick buried in the blue orb of knowledge. The two would-be lovers locked eyes, and Corey immediately came into Mr. Feeney's pocket pussy. Topanga's world was upside down. She was hurt and confused. She was choking back tears. Sean was still licking Mr. Feeney's very rough nipples. <laughs> but, ever the journalist... Topanga didn't let her emotions get in the way of what she could see was a huge scoop. <laughs> Starting to sob, she grabbed the camera hanging at her neck and snapped a picture of Corey. Corey pulled out of the globe and began to weep. He beckoned to Topanga. He ran after her as Mr. Feeney drank. As Mr. Feeney drank his jizz out of the pocket pussy. <laughs> But it was her dog. She was disappeared down the hallway. She disappeared down the hallway before collapsing into tears. She was so devastated, she would go on to suck that fat bully's dick. You know, the guy that was in American History X, and my name is Earl. <laughs> the next day, the school paper ran with a picture of Corey, balls deep in the globe. The headline read, Boy, M-E-A-T-S, meets world. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong had done it. He was the first man on the moon. Soon after, Buzz Aldrin joined Neil on the surface. We're here, Neil. We're actually here, yelled Buzz. Neil didn't respond. He was struck in awe by the beauty of the earth shining in the distance. Staring at his home made him think about his wife. Maybe she was looking up at the stars at the same moment. He missed his wife. Space is cold and lonely. His wife has such warm human skin. Mmm. Thinking about his wife made Neil instantly aroused. He felt the sharp pangs of arousal in the depth of his space suit. Neil's erection pressed against the front of his suit. Suddenly, an alarm went off. His helmet was flashing, and the red alert sounds from Star Trek were playing. <laughs> oh no, yelled Buzz. Did you just get a boner, Neil? The boner alert in your suit is going off. <laughs> Neil snapped out of his gaze. Oh my god, I do have a boner, said Neil. Buzz had a panicked look on his face. Neil, he yelled, you can't get a boner in space. 
It's deadly. The vacuum of space will suck out your vital organs right through your urethra. Suddenly, voices sounded from the radio. Eagle, this is Houston speaking. We just received a boner alert. Can you confirm if that's correct? Neil responded. Roger that. It's the real deal. The radio lit up again. Neil, you're in trouble up there. If you don't treat that space boner, you only have 1% chance of survival. Don't you think I know that, yelled Neil. I was in the academy. I know the statistics. The radio lit up again. Neil, you're going to need to execute protocol 83 ASAP. Neil thought back to his training manual. Protocol 83 states that in the event of an astronaut suffering from an erection in space, that astronaut is required to attempt to manually relieve the erection using his hands. In other words, Neil was going to have to masturbate on the moon to save his life. Neil softly spoke into the radio. Roger that, commencing with protocol 83. Neil unfastened his space pants. He felt a rush of air flood out of his suit as his legs and penis were exposed to the vacuum of space. Buzz stared at Neil's penis. And with the fascination of a true scientist, he began taking pictures. You see, since Neil's penis was not part of their mission, Buzz was required to document every step. Neil's erect penis glowed in the sunlight, or what just appeared to be sunlight on first glance, because if you look closely at the photographs, you'll notice that Neil's penis was casting shadows in multiple directions, implying the use of artificial light sources. Anyway, Neil grasped his penis with his space glove and began rubbing himself. Neil accelerated his pace. He was getting excited. Buzz continued to click his camera. Some of the photographs have crosshairs which line up perfectly with Neil's pee hole. But how was that possible for the crosshairs to line up when the camera was strapped to Buzz's chest? The only way for the crosshairs to line up is if the photos were taken from tripods inside some kind of movie studio. Buzz stared in amazement as Neil Armstrong made history by becoming the first man to jerk off on the moon. Each small stroke of his penis was a giant stroke for mankind. The overwhelming symbolism of the scenario was too much for Buzz to handle. He couldn't control himself. Suddenly, Buzz had a raging erection. The radio kicked on again. This is Houston, we just got another boner alert. Buzz, is everything all right up there? Buzz replied, Houston, I'm going to need to execute protocol 83 also. And with that, Buzz started jerking off his own space boner, making history by becoming the second man to jerk off on the moon. (laughs) Meanwhile, the command module was orbiting miles above the surface of the moon. Michael Collins, the third astronaut, was sitting inside the module. At this point, he was extremely drunk off of mouthwash. And had not noticed what was going down on the moon's surface. This is bullshit, he thought. Why do I have to stay inside the module while these assholes get to walk on the moon? I'll show them what I think of their dumb mission. And with that, Michael Collins began jerking off on Neil Armstrong's pillow. Back on the surface, Neil and Buzz were still attempting to deflate their erections. Sensing they were making no progress, Buzz turned to Neil and yelled, Neil, protocol 83 isn't working. We need to move on to protocol 84. Now, for those who don't know, protocol 84 is exactly the same as protocol 83, but it's with their buttholes. (laughs) Neil responded to Buzz, Roger that, commencing protocol 84. 
near reaching into his suit and pulled out a space condom, which, as we all know, are made of aluminum foil. <laughs> and are lubricated with tang. <laughs> he slipped on the space condom and began entering Buzz from behind. Buzz screamed with delight as Neil's penis entered his butthole. But nobody heard Buzz scream, because in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> Neil began fucking Buzz hard, doggy style. But since the moon has so little gravity, uh, they were bouncing around while fucking, and it was actually kangaroo style. <laughs> With this event, Buzz Aldrin made history by becoming the first man to be fucked on the moon. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the command module, Michael Collins was still very drunk. <laughs> Oh, look at me, I'm Buzz Aldrin, I get to be on the moon because I'm such a good astronaut, yelled Michael Collins as he pranced around the station in Buzz Aldrin's underpants, while still furiously masturbating into Neil Armstrong's pillow. Back on the surface, Neil continued to fuck Buzz, right in his butthole. With each stroke, Neil's penis made a popping noise in Buzz's butt. It sounded like when you open a new can of tennis balls. <laughs> I'm close to coming, yelled Neil. I'm not quite there yet, replied Buzz. Buzz was not pleased with the size of Neil's penis. It was one small penis for a man. <laughs> one giant penis for mankind. But literally a small penis for a man. <laughs> Suddenly the radio lit up again. Houston speaking. I know you boys are having some troubles up there. We believe in you. But we've got the president on the line. He'd like to congratulate you fellows. We can't stall him any longer. I'm going to put him through. Neil Armstrong was suddenly filled with nervousness. He was about to make history by being the first man to fuck another man on the moon while talking to Richard Nixon. <laughs> Gentlemen, cracked the voice from the radio. This is President Nixon. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Ah, <laughs> responded Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Mr. President, the pleasure is ours. Oh, yes, Mr. President, just happy to serve our country, added Buzz as his butthole was moonfucked. <laughs> you boys have certainly made your country proud You've fulfilled Kennedy's legacy With that statement, Buzz got very excited As he realized he was the first man to be fucked on the moon While fulfilling JFK's legacy <laughs> Richard Nixon spoke again Boys, I want you to plant the American flag and come on home Mr. President replied, Neil, it would be my honor And with that, Neil removed his penis from Buzz's butthole he then grabbed the flag which was resting on the ground. He yanked the flag up as high as he could. The flag waved through the air majestically. But how could it have waved through the air? There's no wind on the moon. It has no atmosphere. Therefore, the flag could never have been waving on the actual moon. Are you ready, Buzz? asked Neil. Ready, Neil, said Buzz. With that, Neil rammed the American flag deep into Buzz Aldrin's butthole. The increased length of the flag was finally enough mass for Buzz to climax. Buzz moaned and vibrated as he ejaculated. The sight of Buzz shaking with pleasure was too much for Neil. He also reached full climax at the exact same moment as Buzz. The combined force of their cum was enough to launch them dozens of yards backwards. They were finally safe. They had cured their space bounders. Buzz and Neil rested on the ground as they watched their semen float off into space. <laughs> Neil and Buzz's cum floated off gently, eventually combining into one mass, which was a metaphor for humanity. <laughs> At that moment, there were no Americans, no Russians, no wars. There was just cum. <laughs> space cum. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the command module, Michael Collins inserted Buzz Aldrin's toothbrush deep into his rectum. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get a round of applause.
get all the round one competitors back up here, and you guys are going to vote on a winner. Round one, everybody back up. I will remind you first uh, who everybody was and what they wrote, and then you guys will vote with your applause. Uh, so no voting yet, but we started with Michael Foodie with WWE, and then uh, Jen Tisdale with Nightmare on Elm Street, David Twitty with The Civil War, Stavros Halkias with Boy Meets World, and finally uh, Monty Litwak with The Moon Landing. So, <laughs> second moon landing we've had in the last week, by the way. Who would have thought? Alright, where's Twitty? Twitty's downstairs? Well, he's still eligible. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the tall good. fella? All right, based on your applause, ladies and gentlemen, starting with Mr. Michael Foodie with WWE. Jen Tisdale, Nightmare on Elm Street. David Twitty, Civil War. You hear that, David? Stavros Halkias with Boy Meets World. Monty Lohuck with The Moonlight. Your round one champion of the not present, Mr. David Twain, ladies and gentlemen. Who's ready for round two? Who do we got? Great job. That does it for round one. To hear round two, you can download episode 117 next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And for details and upcoming shows, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.